This is Jeffrey Mark, author of Ella, a biography of the legendary Ella Fitzgerald. I'm coming up next on On Screen and Beyond with Brian Zemrak. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Hold on, it's time for another episode of On Screen and Beyond. This is episode 489 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week on On Screen and Beyond, Jeffrey Mark is going to be joining us. Jeffrey is a comedian, producer, director, writer, and he's done a lot of documentaries on famous comedians and also on... Funny shows, great shows, and uh, his latest book, well, this one's about Ella Fitzgerald, the amazing Ella Fitzgerald, and this would have been, uh, this year would have been her 100th birthday, so in honor of that, he's released Ella Fitzgerald, uh, his book, and uh, that's coming up in just a few minutes, right here on On Screen and Beyond, get ready for Jeffrey Mark, and of course, we'll be looking at uh, different new movies coming your way, such as... uh, one with Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Also, uh, Jane Seymour and Robert De Niro teaming up. And a lot of good stuff coming your way. But it's time for Remake Madness on On Screen and Beyond. Remake Madness. Well, the Scarface remake that we've talked about before has been taken off Universal's 2018 release calendar. They're looking for a new director, so that's going to slow things down. April 20th. The remake of 1987's Overboard, which originally starred Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, will hit theaters. And this version switches the roles, and Anna Faris will be playing Kate, who will be more or less playing not the guy, but the role that the guy was playing. And gets confusing, but anyways, they've switched the roles. So anyways, (laughs) that's coming your way. And on September 21st, a remake of Robin Hood will be arriving in theaters. That's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming new movies. Upcoming new movies. It looks like Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio will star in Quentin Tarantino's next film. It's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The film is set in 1969, focusing on a washed-up TV actor and his longtime stunt double. And Jane Seymour and Robert De Niro, along with Uma Thurman, will star in The War with Grandpa as a young boy has to share his room with his grandfather and declares war on him to get the room back. And let's see, Kate Winslet, James Franco, Gerard Butler, Megan Fox, Owen Wilson, and Daryl Hannah will all be starring in Naya, Legend of the Golden Dolphin, and whose mission is to save Earth. And that's it for upcoming new movies next on On Screen and Beyond. Taking you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Sequel City, well, it looks like Bruce Willis says he is looking over the script for Die Hard 6. Looks like John McClane will be back once again. And Jeremy Ray Taylor, one of the young stars from It, will star in Goosebumps 2. You can look for it on October 12th this year. And star Chris Tucker says Rush Hour 4 is going to happen. and It's going to be the rush of all rushes. That's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD? TV on DVD. Well, it looks like March 13th brings the 30th anniversary release of The Wonder Years, the complete series in a 26-disc deluxe edition in a mini locker 
and it's a great collection, believe me. Also, it will be coming out in a 22-disc slipcase edition. April 3rd, Permanent with Patricia Arquette and Rain Wilson will be landing on Blu-ray and DVD and Digital HD. And May 22nd, look for Call the Midwife Season 7, which uh, comes out on Blu-ray and DVD. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD? We've got it next. All right, movies on DVD. The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman will head out to digital HD on March 20th and Blu-ray and DVD in 4K on April 10th. And April 24th, Hostels with Christian Bale rides into stores. And Den of Thieves with Gerard Butler will be striking store shelves on April 24th. That's it for Movies on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV and Entertainment Time. TV and Entertainment Time. All right, Patti LaBelle. She's going to have a recurring role on OWN's Season 3 of Greenleaf. And Kevin Costner, well... Of course, he's in a lot of movies, but he's going to be starring in Paramount Network's Yellowstone. It's a modern western, and you can look for that in June. That's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's Celebrity Birthdays. We baked you a birthday cake. If you get a tummy ache and you moan and groan and woe, don't forget we told you so. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Celebrity birthdays. It looks like on March 5th, Adele turns 30. March 6th, George Clooney turns 57. And Bob Seger of the Silver Bullet Band turns 73. And March 8th, Melissa Gilbert turns 54. On March 9th, it looks like uh, Piano Man himself, Billy Joel, turns 69. And on March 10th, Bono turns 58. That's it for celebrity birthdays. As far as listener birthdays, well... Jimmy P. of Providence, Rhode Island, turns 39 on March 8th. If you, a friend or relative, are going to be having a birthday, send me the information at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. We'll all be wishing you a very happy birthday. And if, uh, you know, send it to me a little bit ahead of time so I can have it, and uh, we'll try to get that on for you. Well, that's it. That's it for... Listener birthdays and celebrity birthdays. Next on On Screen and Beyond, Jeffrey Mark is going to be coming in. He's going to be talking about his book about Ella Fitzgerald. Jeffrey Mark, next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Joining us today on On Screen and Beyond is an Emmy winner and Grammy nominee, producer, director, and writer. His latest book is Ella, a biography of the legendary Ella Fitzgerald. In celebration of Ella's centennial birthday, it's Jeffrey Mark. Jeffrey, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. It's my pleasure, but you forgot singer and comedian. Come on. Yeah, I know there's... Well, you know, I was looking at your your bio and everything, and it's like, oh, well, I could mention this, I could mention this, and <laughs> there's just so many things that you do, uh, and of course, you have a long list of uh, producing things uh, for movies and, and TV, and uh, it, it's it's like, okay, I I got to stop somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to start with a laugh. No, no problem, no problem. Uh, now. Um, and I do want to talk about some of those other things, if you don't mind, a little bit later. But first, let's get into uh, Ella. I'm yours for as long as you'll have me. All right. You wrote a book on Ella Fitzgerald. I take it that you have a, 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 a admiration of Ella? Uh, that, that's an understatement. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like to write about people who are the absolute best at what they do. And... Uh, Andre Previn, the wonderful jazz pianist and classical pianist and arranger and composer, once said, and I think this covers it pretty well, musicians sometimes backstage before a show will play a game. Who's your favorite saxophone player? Who's your favorite guitarist? Who's your favorite pianist? But the game 
cannot go even one second longer if you ask who's your favorite singer. Unless you say, oh, you mean besides Ella? <laughs> because there's Ella and there's everybody else. Right. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I, 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 I think she is the finest singer we've ever produced. That does not mean there aren't other wonderful performers out there oh, who yeah. I admire greatly. Mm-hmm. I just think she's the best. Yeah. And now I was looking at uh, the information about your book and everything. And of course, I, I know her music, Ella's music. But uh, just looking over some of the, the facts that were sent to me, uh, I didn't know any of these things. I mean, it, it, it's, it's fascinating her backstory. Well, that's why I wrote the book. You know, Ella is the most recorded woman in history as far as recording someone singing. Wow. Uh, there, and it's almost, almost all of it available on CD or electronically today. Mm-hmm. So people know her music. They, they know Ella the big band singer. Right. Who sang a tisket a tasket. They know Ella the female pop singer who had bebop hits with things like How High the Moon and Lady Be Good. Mm-hmm. They know Ella the woman who brought us this entire concept. You know, listeners out there who are now my friends, too, I hope. Ella recorded a series of song books. This entire idea of the great American songbook was Ella's. Song books of Cole Porter, Irving Berlin, Duke Ellington, Harold Arlen. And then they know the Ella from later years, who is pretty much strictly all jazz. But they don't know the woman, because Ella never allowed that. Oh. And hopefully in this book... If you want to know about her album from 1975 that was recorded live in Montreux, you can read about it there. But if you want to know about what her childhood was like when her mother died, you can read about that also. And it's not a pretty story. It's very hard to tell the story. Uh, You can't laugh about it. Right. Because she was brutally, brutally... um, What's a good word? I, I, I use the words in the book. It's easier to write them than it is to say them. She was tortured. She was raped. She was abused. And wow. how, how does one come from no parents, 16 years old, on your own, to becoming a legend? That story is fascinating. And then the story of her music is fascinating. So it's, it's a two-in-one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, how did Ella get discovered? I mean, coming from that type of background. You couldn't make up this kind of a story. By the time of Ella's quote-unquote discovery, she was a teenager living on the streets of Harlem. She was living with prostitutes in a house of ill repute, and she wanted to be a dancer. She wanted to call herself Snake Hips Fitzgerald (laughs) because she was thin at the time. And there used to be, all over Harlem, but all over the United States, a thing called vaudeville. Mm-hmm. And vaudeville was like a cabaret show done with a certain structure. And it was very, very popular until radio and television came in. And in many places, at the end of the show, there was a variety show for amateurs, an amateur hour. And Ella wanted to go on one of these. And you put your name in on a card or the phone number, and she gave the phone number of the House of Prostitution, and they called, and they said, be at the theater at this time, at this place. And the last act on the bill was a, a, an African-American sister dancing act called the Edward Sisters. And Ella said they were the dancingest sisters who ever existed. They did a flash act, very, very fast-paced, quick, 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 one step after the other. If you missed something, you, you, you went on to the next thing already. They were so fast. And they were a big hit. And Ella said, I can't go out there and dance and follow that with my little amateur dancing. I'm not going. And her lady of the evening friends literally pushed her out on the stage. And Ella got hit for the first time with a spotlight. And we will never know to this day who loved who more. Did the spotlight love Ella more, or did Ella love the spotlight more? Mm, yeah, yeah. But she started walking out. She was 
ill-prepared, ill-dressed, not quaffed, not made up. And some guy from the audience yelled, what's she going to do? And she walked over to the MC and he says, you got to do something. Can you sing? And she said, I'm so nervous. Uh, the only song I can think of was Hoagie Mar- Carmichael's song, Judy. Uh, Connie Boswell had recorded it, and Ella loved Connie Boswell. And the guy said, we happen to have her arrangement. Let's try it. And she tried it, and she won. And she won every place she went. Wow. And from amateur hour to amateur hour, finally one of them, the prize was an actual booking, where she got paid to be someplace. And the next act in after her was Chick Webb and his orchestra. Hmm. Chick Webb was an African-American band leader, not as famous as Count Basie or Duke Ellington, but uh, had he lived longer than he did, would probably have been known as the world's greatest jazz drummer. But he was born with tuberculosis of the spine, and he was very short and walked in kind of a question mark angle. So he had another man front the band that he played the drums, and they brought Ella in to see him, and he didn't want her. She was not washed, wearing you know a dirty, torn dress. I mean, she had nothing except talent that people saw. And his side men talked him into it. He said, all right, we're going to Yale Thursday. Come along, and if the Yaleys like you, you're in. And the Yaleys loved her. Wow. And that was it. That was it. She was a part of his organization, and uh, off they went. So how did she, I mean, of course she sang, you know, for for years and everything, but how did she become her, have her own band? Uh, You know, she was the first African-American woman to be a person who had their own band. Tragic circumstances that I kind of alluded to a minute ago. Uh, we, we probably heard the story of how the song Atisca the Task it came to be a hundred times. Uh, but it was near the end of Chick's life when that happened. It was Ella's first million-selling record. She co-wrote it with Al Feldman, who was writing arrangements for the band. He didn't want to write it. He hated the idea. And Ella said, really? Would you like to continue writing arrangements for Chick Webb? He said, you know what, Ella, now that you mentioned it, I love the idea. And they recorded it, and it was a big hit. But Chick was very sick. And about six months later, he passed away. What do you do? Well, they decided that Ella had become such a big star that they could take the Chick Webb band without his name and call it Ella Fitzgerald and her famous orchestra. Uh. That's the billing they used. And she kept the band together for about two years. And the only reason it fell apart, other than Chick Webb, really was the not the talent of the band because they had wonderful people working there but he was the heart of it but World War II intervened and all all the side men started getting drafted until there was no band left one of the last was Dizzy Gillespie and that's how he and Ella got together and it was Dizzy Ella always claimed who taught her how to scat sing Mm -hmm. beyond just a little babadood and need up he really she listened to his horn, because Ella was a sponge. Uh, going, going the years that she was with Chick Webb and being among the musicians, she just, by osmosis almost, absorbed the music, absorbed each instrument and what it could and could not do. And eventually she came to be able to imitate the instruments. Uh, even if she was singing lyrics, she could use the, the musical tricks of the instruments to inform how she was singing. And that's a style that doesn't happen overnight. It takes years. Mm-hmm. So the Ella Fitzgerald uh, of her apogee, of her greatest successes, is not the voice that we heard in 1938 or 39. It, it grows. And uh, so did her career. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Now, you know the stories. These are fascinating stories, uh, but well, I'm a fascinating fellow. So <laughs> that way. But were you? Did you get to meet Ella? Yes, you did. Okay, so the, so yes. you not you're not just repeating what you've heard from others. You you actually met Ella. Well, that would be a misleading statement. So let me straighten that out. The book 
originally, and this book got started a long time ago, mm-hmm. the book originally was supposed to be an authorized biography. Uh, it was pitched that way to me by Val Valentin, who was her recording engineer of all her great albums. And unfortunately, uh, Ella's manager, the, the man really responsible for turning Ella from girl singer to a legend, had a really bad running feud with Frank Sinatra. And when I asked Mr. Sinatra's people, could I interview you for the book just about the television work you did together, he called Granz's office, and I guess all hell broke loose, and it stopped being an authorized biography. So yes, I spoke with Ella, but she really wasn't well enough to interview, and even if she had been, Ella was not forthcoming mm-hmm. about the actual events in her personal life. Yeah, She would talk about her music for hours and loved to, but about things personal, there was a, a complete hands-off, even among her own people. Hmm. So I had to do tons and tons of research and interview hundreds and hundreds of people. And of course, I had to listen to every song she recorded, even the ones never released, and watch every television special from all around the world uh, and every movie she made. And I got to see her perform live about 30 times. Hmm. You had, I had to immerse myself in her to I get would... this book to come out. Yeah. And uh, happily, my publisher, Mies Hora, is a brilliant, brilliant designer. So the book is over 460 pages, and it has over 270 photographs in it. Wow. So, so uh, he's taken my manuscript and really made a work of art out of it. I'm very proud of the book. Hmm. Um, and then uh, on top of that, there's a deluxe edition. Um, it turns out that all of Ella's record labels through all the years are now under one corporate umbrella. And I had done uh, a wonderful show with wonderful Patty Austin at the Grammy Museum last April for Ella's 100th birthday. And uh, Universal Music was there, and we began negotiations. And now we've got two CDs, one in studio and one live, of the what I think is the best of her music from 1935 to 1990. And you can't buy it anywhere else except wow. through us. So it's available uh, in the deluxe edition. It's also available as its own product. If you've already bought the book or just want the music, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want my book. But for some reason, you only (laughs) want the music, it's available for purchase as well. Is that a good enough commercial, or do you think I need to lay it on a little heavier? No, that's fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very proud of it. I I think it really adds to to be able to read it and then listen to the music I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and the fact that it's the only place that has this compendium of her music from all the different record labels, I'm, I'm couldn't be more pleased. Yeah, I mean, and there was so much music that she did that was just just fabulous music. I mean, think think about this, folks. Between 1956 and 1960, four years, she recorded enough music in studio and live to fill. 27 CDs. Holy cow. <laughs> in four years. Today it takes four years for most pop singers to come up with one song. Mm-hmm. She was just, there was one day she went in and recorded an entire album with one arranger and came back to the same studio the next day with a different arranger and recorded a completely different album, completely, in one day. Hmm. Nobody does that anymore. Right, yeah. Jeez. And all sung live with the band. You know, they they didn't uh, lay down tracks I and mean, then she comes in when she feels like it. Right. Yeah. Everybody was there together singing and playing live. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that doesn't happen often anymore. <laughs> no, I produced albums and it hardly happens at all anymore. Um, no one's ready for it anymore. The recording engineers aren't ready for it. The musicians aren't ready for it. And the singers aren't ready for it. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody wants to just play their part and have somebody mix it all together. And I'm sure for some music that works, but it really does not work well for jazz or the Great American Songbook. I, th- I think the musicians and the singer have to be together. There's a spiritual marriage there that makes the music magical. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Ella's music was always magical, even in her later years when her voice was a little bit like mine today, a little hoarse. Um, even when her voice became not as good as it was when she was at her best, there was always magic in what she did. You, you never didn't want to hear her sing. Uh, there are no bad albums. Right. They're all good. Some mm-hmm. are better than others, but they're all wonderful pieces. Yeah. Now, I know, you know, of course, we know in the time, or the early years, she was with Benny Goodman, you know, with music and Duke Ellington and, you know, Count Basie, all the, all the greats. And, um, but uh, I, I noticed in the, some of the, the information that it got uh, that she had uh, encounters or relationship with uh, Karen Carpenter, which, which seemed a little different than, you know, the ones, the people you would think, you know, Louis Armstrong and things like that. <laughs> How, what's the story behind that, or, 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 or should we just say, read the book? <laughs> no, well, she, the re- relationship is a strong word. Ella became the high benchmark for any girl singer who wanted to ever attempt that kind of music, meaning Cole Porter, Irving Berlin, the great American composers of the 20th century. Sooner or later, almost every singer, even pop singers, even even even... R&B and in rap and, and hip-hop people, sooner or later, they begin to record this music because mm-hmm. it's, when you settle down the dust, these are the best songs ever written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Karen was doing a television special and just adored Ella's voice. And it was very strange because, like many of the specials in the 70s and 80s, they pretend there's an audience there, but there really isn't. So they can shoot things in pieces and, and, and sort of paste it all together. And Ella and Karen were doing this wonderful medley of, of uh, torch songs. And the music is pre-recorded and Karen's voice is pre-recorded. She's pretending to sing, but Ella is singing live. Wow. Because she did not want to lip sync. She wanted to be in the moment and sing it how she felt it at that moment. Mm-hmm. Tony Tennille did the same thing with Ella uh, when she had a television special, had her on, and another medley of Torch songs. This time they they both sang live. Uh, Dinah Shore had Ella do that. Uh, people loved to sing with Ella because they all thought she was the best. Yeah, yeah. That must have been difficult, though, for her, Ella, to sing to Karen's recorded voice and music. And, and she's seeing live. I mean, I mean, the, the slightest difference, and you could be off. You could, unless you're Ella Fitzgerald. Right. Yeah. <laughs> A pro. <laughs> Ella, I, I don't know if our friends out there can understand this. I don't want to get too technical into the music. But Ella understood, almost in her DNA, the beats of a song, the rhythm of a song, and any given chord, what are the notes she could sing. Ella was a genius at stealing time. That means dum, 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 dum is the time. But she would go dum, 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 dum. She, she knew how to, to, to manipulate stuff so that she was never not with the orchestra or the trio or the pianist, whoever she was with, but could play around with it any way she felt like it. So it didn't really matter what was pre-recorded. Ella could fit her voice to whatever was there and still be where she needed to be when she and Karen were singing together. Mm-hmm. She's a genius. Yeah. Where's the best place to get it? Well, you can go to Amazon.com, and I, I guarantee you they have it. We can go to my publisher's website, which is Ultimate Symbol.com. Um, if you're a Facebook person, you can find me on Facebook, and we can arrange something if you want an autographed copy. And I'll be going all over the country, um, Palm Springs, Los Angeles, New York, Baltimore, Washington, San Francisco, singing, because I do sing. I'll be singing songs from Ella's canon to their original arrangements and doing book signings. So if I'm anywhere near you live, please show up. And uh, if not, uh, go on the Internet, and uh, it's available. Mm -hmm. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, Jeffrey, I got this is probably the, uh, a foolish question. Can I give you a foolish answer? But I always do. <laughs> I always ask foolish questions. <laughs> what is your favorite Ella Fitzgerald recording? It's not a foolish question, and I, I have a good answer for it. I hope you have the time to hear it. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> In February of 1960, Ella was embarking on a tour of Europe with her with her quartet at that time, with Paul Smith, my friend Paul Smith, playing piano. And there, there's often, when Jeffrey Mark tells stories, sometimes there's a story in a story. So I've got to give you another story first so you'll understand this story. Mm-hmm. There had been, in the years of Nazi Germany, um, see, you didn't expect Nazi Germany no. out of Fitzgerald. <laughs> see how I can surprise you. In the years of Nazi Germany, there was a musical, and the musical was about a slasher. And there was a song sung very slowly and funereally and lugubriously. There's a lot of words for you. <laughs> um, in the show, and it was about the slasher. The men who uh, were the creators of the show all fled Nazi Germany because they were all Jewish and came to America and opened the show with English words and lyrics. It was called the Three Penny Opera, and it was a huge hit in New York. And the same song was sung in exactly the same way. I've heard recordings. I'm not exactly sure it isn't even the same guy. Well, for some reason that no one's ever really going to know, Bobby Darren recorded that song as a swinging up-tempo finger snapper, a happy song. Typical Bobby Darren. <laughs> and it sold a million copies. Number one, mm-hmm. the great Louis Armstrong heard it, and he was about to do an album and wanted to do a cover version of it. So Louis covered it his own way, singing and playing the trumpet. He had a number one hit with it. Now, for two people to have a number one hit with the same song in the same year is almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. So, we're back to February of 1960. I brought you back, got rid of the Nazis. We're back here now, February of 60. But we do happen to be in Germany. So, times have changed. And Norman Granz, Ella's manager, comes backstage and says, You know, Ella, I want to hear you do, take a, a stab at Mac the Knife. And Ella, you know, really adored Norman and was grateful to him that he took her from being girl singer to superstar. So naturally when he said, would you please sing Mac for Knife, her answer was, no, I don't want to sing that song. I don't like it. I don't understand it. I don't know the words. We haven't had time to rehearse it. What are you doing to me? And Paul Smith was sitting there. He said, Ella, I can just do a little vamp, a little dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, and just you sing whatever you want. And Norman said, Ella, we're in Germany. They don't even speak English. They won't know what you're doing. They won't know what you're singing, but they'll recognize the tune as a German song. So Ella went out and did most of her concert first. And then she threw this in, and she even told them, I don't think I know all the lyrics. We've never heard a girl sing it, but here we go. And those of you who have heard Mac for Knife, it's, it's a, almost a blues. It's stanza by stanza by stanza telling a story. And she got three or four stanzas into it and then just lost it. Whatever she might have known about the song was gone. Mm. Well, she could have stopped. She could have laughed. She could have bebopped her way through it. Instead, what she did was on her feet in front of 10,000 people made up a song. Really? <laughs> okay. About not knowing the lyrics to Mac the Knife. Oh, and all of her lyrics fit the meter of the song, and all of her lyrics rhymed exactly where they should rhyme as if she had written the song before. Wow. Um, 
the audience approval was outstanding. I mean, they they the energy she got at the end of that song from that audience, and, and Norma Grants was wrong. They did speak English. They knew exactly what she was doing. And she followed it with a seven-and-a-half-minute version of How High the Moon, scatting as if she were on meth, but she wasn't. She was just <laughs> taking all that energy from the audience. Yeah. Those two songs, back-to-back, are the greatest example of jazz singing that has ever been recorded and probably ever will. And what did Ella get out of it? Grammy for Best Song, Grammy for Best Album, and Mac the Knife became her second theme song and the most requested song uh, everywhere she went for the rest of her life. Huh. Wow. Gee. You know, you know Jeff, Jeffrey, uh, hearing you talk about this, uh, it's it's if the book is anywhere even close to how you're describing these stories, <laughs> I can tell you're a good writer. <laughs> There's no question because <laughs> we're listening to every single word you say. We don't want to miss a word. It, it, well, since I'm telling the story and I wrote the book, I hope they're very similar. Mm, I'm sure it is, and uh, you know everybody should run out and get this because it's. Uh, it sounds like it's got so many stories, and and everybody who listens to this show is uh, obviously a big fan of stories because we love hearing the people talk about those things. And uh, this is just an amazing, amazing story. I mean, the subject you have is amazing. So, and the stories, um, you know, some people's lives there's a one or two or three good stories, and the rest of it kind of flatlines. Not so with Ella, because like everybody else's life, uh, around every rain cloud is a silver lining, and around every silver lining is a rain cloud. So there is deep tragedy in Ella's life. Mm -hmm. There is tremendous illness. People have no idea what Ella physically went through to record all those albums, because Ella had severe diabetes, and with that... She was touring 42, 43 weeks a year, two shows a night, six shows a day, wow. and recording, and making movies, and being on television. Uh, being the first lady of song really came at a tremendous price, eventually her life, huh. because she worked until she just physically could no longer work. And then the story of what happened to her when she stopped working and the day of her death, I think, are worth the price of the book. The story I tell of what happened when she died is one of the saddest things I've ever written and one of the best things I've ever written. Hmm. Jeez. It's... And that one you have to buy the book for. Right. <laughs> wow. That, I mean, that alone makes me want to run out and get it. <laughs> Well, again, it, it's like the Mac for Knife story. Right. You can't make this up. Mm -hmm. When I found this stuff out, and and please know that I didn't just take one person's word for it. I, I right. There's nothing in there that I didn't speak to several people about. And if there's ever uh, any question, I say in the book, you know, I'm not so sure if this is true or not. Here's here's a couple of versions I've heard figure out which one you like because I can't nail it down. Mm -hmm. This I've nailed down. Yeah. Um, I will tell you this much, that Ella was tremendously well cared for in her last years. That she finally had the time to unpack her stories of her performing mm -hmm. and share them with close friends and family and uh, enjoy her beautiful home. For the first time, perhaps, really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so her 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 last years are tragic in that her health was so bad. But spiritually speaking, I think Ella was in good shape, despite never meeting her father, having her stepfather abuse her, losing her mother before she was fifteen. Despite all of that. Somewhere along the way, whether it was from her mother or she was just born with it, Ella had faith, and she leaned on it, mm -hmm. and it got her through quite a lot. Yeah. 
Jeez. Yeah. Those of us who love her, those of us who admire her, those of us who respect her, I will tell you, and this is the truth, however much all of you friends out there loved Ella Fitzgerald, she loved you back more. And as much respect as you have for her gifts, she respected you as an audience even more. She was, to the last time she appeared anywhere, terribly concerned that you get your money's worth, that she was worth your paying, whatever you paid to see her, and that you were never bored. She always made sure there was something special every night. That says a lot about the woman. Oh, yeah. Gee, sounds like a wonderful woman. Well, a wonderful performer. Yep, yep. So everybody should definitely go get that book. And um, I just wanted to touch, uh, before we leave here, uh, Jeffrey, um, you yourself, like I said earlier, were a writer, a director, producer, the acting, a little bit of everything here, <laughs> singing and <laughs> comedian. Um, but uh, you, when you were doing your writing and directing for TV, uh, I just want people to know that you've done a lot of documentaries on um, – different shows like Cheers, The Monsters, a lot of fun shows like that. Uh, but you've also done on the people, like uh, the classics, you know, the, the the Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart, and, of course, probably one of the greatest comedians ever, uh, Lucille Ball. Well, that was a joy for me. Um, I, I am considered, and I am grateful to be considered, one of the two or three experts on Ms. Ball's career in the world. And I've written a book called The Lucy Book that chronicles her entire entire television career, from early television before I Love Lucy till the day she died. And that book is being redone and is coming out next. And we're adding her films and her radio shows and her Broadway show, Wildcat, to it, so that you really have between two covers her entire career. It's not a biography. It's not about her personal life, unless her personal life affects her performance. But it is the work itself, and uh, I'm very proud of it. So look for that next year. But uh, yes, producing that was a labor of love for me, and we got wonderful, wonderful interviews from Desi Arnaz Jr. and from her hairstylist and the people who acted on the show and wrote the show and directed the show. Uh, so, so I'm very, very, very proud of it. Uh, this is a little while ago, and at that time, uh, it was on the Learning Channel, TLC. At that time, it got something like 1.6 million people watching it. And today, there are network shows that don't get 1.6 million right. people watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, we even heard that Barbara Streisand's people called in for a copy of it, that which, which made me very, very happy. Wow. But, uh, yeah, I, I have an expertise pretty much about entertainment from 1875 to 1975. That hundred years lives between my ears. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but I, remember, I sure remember that one. <laughs> right. years lives between my ears. There you go. Yeah. Um, I love show business. I've been in it since I'm 15. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think like anybody else who loves what they do, it shows. Yeah. Yeah. And I can hear it in your voice. I can barely, barely hear my folks. I have a much better speaking voice than this. I'm hoarse tonight, and I am so sorry. But um, I, I hope you can hear beyond my hoarseness my enthusiasm mm-hmm. because uh, I love being here with you right now, and I love bringing these stories to you. I love telling stories. I love, I love entertaining people. Mm-hmm. And I hope some of you will come to some of my shows and hear me sing from Ella's Cannon and tell some of these stories in person. Yeah. Well, Jeffrey, I, I'd like to finish up with two final questions. You may have six. Go ahead. <laughs> this takes us away from your book, which we should not, you know, uh, ignore because everybody should go get this book. It's it's about Ella Fitzgerald, and it's something that it's, you know, celebrating her 100th birthday here. But um, I'll bring us back. Fear not. <laughs> but taking us away from that, um, when you sit back, what are your favorite TV shows now? and of the past, and what's your favorite movies now and of the past? Good heavens, man. Uh, there has never been a better sitcom than I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I, I, through the years, I loved Perry Mason. Mm-hmm. I loved West Wing. I think Aaron Sorkin is just 
brilliant. Uh, I'm watching more things on Netflix now than I am watching things on network television. I've always been a great admirer of Saturday Night Live. Um, I, I think uh, Lauren Michaels is brilliant. Uh, even though the concept is not really his, they're basically doing your show of shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a variety, show, a 90-minute variety show on Saturday night that was live with a cast of comedians and a rotating host every week. Mm-hmm. Does this sound familiar to you? Oh, yeah. I had Kyle Reiner on the show, so he talked about that. <laughs> yeah. So, so Saturday Night Live is really a ripoff of your show of shows. But that Lauren has kept this thing going for 40-something years now mm-hmm. yeah. uh, is amazing. Um, movies... I love almost anything Betty Davis did. Um, I, I love the films when the the movie moguls were making movies, when the studio system ruled. I really enjoy those films because the the stories were bought or written for the specific talents of those people. Mm-hmm. They trained the people, they trained the writers, they trained the directors. Everybody who worked was a craftsman. And I'm not in any way negating the people of today. It's just much harder to come up with that kind of quality when every film is its own production with its own staff, and they're starting from scratch each time putting the creative team together. Mm -hmm. Um, I I could talk for two hours about things I like, uh, but I have to admit that if I err on one side or another, it's, it's on the classic films of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. I love film noir. I love the MGM musicals. I thought Judy Garland and Fred Astaire were absolutely brilliant, brilliant performers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I love Broadway. I love Ethel Merman and Mary Martin. You know, um, But there are wonderful people today. It's just that today I think we're almost trying to replicate something that was. All the new musicals are remakes of old musicals, and how many films and television series are reboots of old series? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if we're running out of ideas or if people are getting lazy. Yeah, I think that's got a lot more to do. Well, not so much the people, uh, uh, the studios. <laughs> they, they want the sure bet, I, I think, you know. Well, you know, a studio is an empty name. At this point, studios are just physical places. But nobody really produces. No studio is really producing films anymore. Right. Uh, it's all independent producers who rent space out in a studio, and then the studio, for a financial involvement, gets to put their name on it as if they had anything to do with it. But right. They, they really don't. And uh, the networks are floundering. Uh, show business is changing. Definitely. Uh, and not necessarily for the worse. Um, there, there are wonderful things on HBO and Amazon Prime and Netflix. Mm-hmm. Probably better quality than on the networks right now. Yes, yeah. and that's okay because show business has always evolved, and I think as long as we, as a people, continue to support the arts and let let people know with our dollars that we like quality, and that we're willing to support quality, the quality will always be there. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the very, very few evenings I have off where I can just sit back in my recliner and watch something, and that's what I'm doing, because I, I want to see what's new and exciting. And uh, look at look at wonderful Lily Tomlin and uh, Jane Fonda have a new sitcom. All right. It's wonderful. It couldn't be on regular television, but it's wonderful. Yeah. They they're all uh, today doing the the British version of things, which is you don't do 23 or 25 episodes. You do 10 or 12. And you come back in a year or 18 months and do another 10 or 12. And uh, there's no pressure to pump out product that isn't ready. Yeah. 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 So I think this is a step in the right direction. Can you imagine I Love Lucy in those days? They would bring 39 shows a year. I know. It's incredible. But they did 39 great shows. <laughs> well, that's a whole discussion by itself. I, I could speak for hours and hours about Miss Ball and her television series. Uh, but it, but it's, it's a good example of when you have a genius creator, extraordinarily, extraordinarily brilliant writers, an acting team that each brought with them 
30, 40, 50 years of show business history before they got there. And all the craftspeople, there's about 100 folks, Mr. Arnez and Mr. Oppenheimer, who who was the producer of the show and the creator of the show, hired the very, very best there were. And they all worked for Peanuts just to see could we actually do this. Yeah. Because it was a brand new thing. and Everybody wanted to be there on the ground floor. It It must have been, I can't imagine how exciting to work with Carl Freund, the man, you know, the man who made Metropolis, the man who created rack lighting. I know I'm getting technical, folks. Forgive me, but he worked for for what is called scale, the absolute union minimum, mm-hmm. to create lighting so that you could have a sitcom in front of a live audience. It had never been done before, filmed in front of a live audience. Wow. He created that so that Miss Ball looked as beautiful as she did. <laughs> Everybody brought something to the table. Everybody created something new, yeah. including Mr. Arnez and Miss Ball and Vivian Vance and Bill Frawley, and every actor who was on it was wonderful. That's mm. why it's so good. Yeah. Jeez. It wasn't just product. It was love. Right. Yeah. Well, Jeffrey, I cannot thank you enough for joining us, and uh, it's been fascinating. You can thank me by reminding people to go out and buy my new book on Ella Fitzgerald called Ella biography of a legendary Ella Fitzgerald at Amazon.com or in person or from me on Facebook or from my publisher, Ultimate Symbol. Because the more Ella books we sell, if you have Lucy fans out there, the more money gets pumped into the Lucy books. So it's a a two for one. Support Mm -hmm. this book, you'll get the other one. All right. Thank you very much. My pleasure. A big thank you going out to Jeffrey Mark for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond to talk about his book, Ella, which celebrates the 100th birthday of Ella Fitzgerald and gets all the backstories. And it's just an amazing book. Be sure to check this one out uh, You know, if you want to find out some of the uh, things that went on behind the scenes. It's just incredible how she, she survived. and I mean, it, it just skyrocketed into so much fame and everything but uh check it out it's 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 a great book and um uh, let's see what else we got a lot of things going on and um if you have a suggestion for a guest send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com but uh we got a great guest coming your way next week uh it, it's 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 a fascinating story and um in the music world i'll tell you that much and uh, that's it that is a wrap for this week so until next week when we once again take you on screen and beyond i'm brian zemrak take care (laughs) 